This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, be it throughout podcast, Google Podcasts, whatever podcast gimmick you have. And I mentioned Apple Podcasts for a reason. Obviously, I want you to give us a five-star review. Go ahead and write that out, and we will mention it on the air in our next broadcast. Trust me, you need to get in on this action. I know we're having some difficulties right now with the Cajun Strong Style feed. It's a little bit wonky out of date we're trying to get this stuff resolved that way it can be fixed and you get every single episode of cajun strong stop but i know on spotify and on google podcasts everything is working perfectly fine so make sure you get in on the action today you go ahead and give it a subscribe and also leave a five-star review while you are at it in the meantime and in between time i want to talk about a lot of stuff that happened in the wwe i know i like to talk more about aew but honestly wwe his has the biggest headlines for me, especially when it comes to the WWE draft, because I managed to come up with some thoughts today about what they need to do to fix it. But first, let's go back and look at the WWE draft, and we're going to break it down step by step. First, let's go to the Raw roster. You've got your champions. Big E is going to be staying on Raw. Raw Tag Team Champions, RK Bro, United States Champion, Damian Priest, the SmackDown Women's Champion, Becky Lynch is there. The Women's Tag Team Champions, Rhea Ripley and Nikki A.S.H., they're there. And then you have 24-7 Champion, Reggie. Here's how the rest of the roster kind of shakes out. Bianca Belair, Edge, Keith, Bearcat Lee. I'm still not sure about the nickname, but I get it. Ray and Dominic Mysterio, Austin Theory, Akira Tozawa, Alpha Academy, Apollo Crews, and Commander Aziz, Dewdrop, Drake Maverick, John Morrison, Nia Jax, R-Truth, T-Bar, Zelina Vega, Bobby Lashley, Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, AJ Styles, and Omos, Street Profits, Finn Balor, Karrion Cross, Alexa Bliss, Gable Stevenson, Carmella, Liv Morgan, Dana Brooke, Dolph Ziggler, Robert Rude, Jackson Riker, Veer, Liv Morgan, Mia Yim, Tamina, Tegan Knox, Shelton Benjamin, Cedric Alexander, and The Miz. That is your entire Monday Night Raw roster. And it looks really good, just in terms of on paper. I'm not going to run through the names again, but I'm going to break these things down into four tiers. It was originally three, but then I thought about it. Like The fourth tier belongs to the bad ones. And it's not bad in the sense of, like, oh, hey, they're bad wrestlers. But they're bad in the sense that they are booked poorly or they're involved in something that they shouldn't really be in and shouldn't exist in my world. And obviously your top tier is going to consist of your top champions. But here's the thing with all you've got some really good top draws with your two primary champions and one half of your tag team champions. Let's break that down. Your top tier, obviously, it's Big E. He's your WWE champion. He's going to be embroiled with a few with either Bobby Lashley or Seth Rollins, two other top tier guys. It evens out, too, because you got Kevin Owens, who could potentially fight for the Universal title because of the reputation he's built as a top tier guy. Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair, their feud is still going to be going on over the next several weeks and months, probably. Because there's nobody else that's really been built up 
to be a top-tier women's division wrestler. There are some that kind of get close, and keyword is get very close. Riddle is in, uh, so we're going to go middle tier. These are going to be your good hands, but very much on the upper mid-card range. So let's call it the upper upper mid-tier. Riddle, Rhea Ripley, Rey Mysterio, Keith Lee, Nikki A.S.H., Damian Priest, John Morrison, Nia Jax, Omos, Finn Balor, Street Profits, Karrion Cross. because I think he has potential. Alexa Bliss, The Miz, and Gable Stevenson. Gable Stevenson could very well be dropped down lower. It's all about when he debuts and how they present him. Because he could be an absolute monster. And I think he's going to have to have the seasoning to be ready to just immediately jump out on the main roster. I can't wait to see what he does especially on Monday Night Raw. But your middle tier is a little bit more interesting because you've got guys that can absolutely go. I didn't put Dominic Mysterio in there. I am going to put him in the lower middle tier. I'll go ahead and just say that right off the gate. Ray Mysterio, obviously, he's such a huge draw. I think that alone puts him in that middle tier. He's a veteran of the game. He handles his business the right way. Keith Lee, he has so much potential. The Bearcat gimmick is what it is but he puts together really good matches and his character is going to be shining a lot more. Damian priest, obviously a United States champion. He could very well compete with half the roster right now, just based off of how it's all set up. John Morrison, Finn Balor, Karen cross, the biz, like these guys could compete for the United States championship. If you wanted to, obviously here's the thing. These upper mid card guys like Finn Balor, they could move up in those like, upper tier, but they aren't necessarily at that top level right now. Finn Balor's one that's probably going to be floating around. I can't put him as a top tier guy because they haven't necessarily booked him as top tier as they did in NXT. He's not quite ready for the prime time. Like he is getting there. It is just going to take some time. Your lower, your lower middle tier is Liv Morgan, Tegan Knox, Shelton Benjamin, Cedric Alexander, Dolph Ziggler, Robert Roode, Carmella, and Mia Yim. All these are really good hands. It just feels like they could very well be lost in the shuffle because of all that you have in that middle tier. That middle tier has so much potential. They're really good hands and could be guys that get the opportunity for a title shot more. But they do drop... Also should be a consideration for that. I didn't write that down, but I think Dewdrop 100% feels like a lower middle tier. She's going to be built up slowly over this next year, and she could be probably middle, like upper middle, upper mid tier. Then we get to the geeks, and I'm putting geeks here more of, especially on Raw. It's the entire 24-7 division. Austin Theory, Reggie, R-True, the Kira Tozawa, Otis, and Chad Gable, T-Bar, Zelina Vega, Drake Maverick, Tamina, Dana Brooke, Jackson Riker, Veer. Not a knock against any of them. It's just I can't get into the way they've booked some of these guys. Like R-Truth, Drake Maverick, Reggie, I get. Akira Tozawa, I get. But Otis and Chad Gable haven't done a damn thing. They've been teaming forever. And it's tough for me to kind of say, this is going to be the wave of the future. I don't want to see that. I don't see those guys taking over. Austin Theory, he's very young, and I don't know how he's going to do post the way because he feels like he'd work well with the stable, but they're putting him in a tough position right out the gate going as a single star, and it's a very weird heel type thing that they're doing with him. That's probably the last two weeks, and then you figure out what you're going to do with him. He's probably going to be lost in the shuffle. At least that's how I see it. 
But when it comes to the SmackDown roster, I think that one's a lot more interesting because you don't have as much top-heavy talent because all your champions, I think, are definitely deserving of top tier. And you've got Roman Reigns, your SmackDown Tag Team Champs, the Usos, the Bloodline stays around, Charlotte Flair, and Shinsuke Nakamura. The rest of the roster, you've got Drew McIntyre, Kofi, and Xavier Woods. Those two are both on the blue brand again. Then you have Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss, which is shaking my head worthy. Then you got Hit Row, I was definitely surprised at. Naomi, Jeff Hardy, Aaliyah, Drew Gulak, Mace, Mansoor, Mustafa Ali, Tony Storm, Sasha Banks, Rick Boogs, Sheamus, Zia Lee, Shayna Baszler, Viking Raiders, Ricochet, Humberto Carrillo, and Angel Garza, Cesaro, Sami Zayn, Rich Holland, Natalia, Jinder Mahal, and Shanky. Again, definitely heavy on the geek level. I don't get controversial here. This is like geek heavy. You got Mansoor, Mace, Mustafa Ali, Drew Gulak, Aliyah, Rick Boogs. And Aliyah, I think she has so much opportunity to move up because she has no like floor right now. That's why I put her in geek because she's going to be more of a lower tier person right away. Could very well get lost in a shuffle. Rick Boogs, I love the character. But it feels so much like it's a older gimmick. And he's not that great of a wrestler. It's just sheerly the gimmick of the dude playing guitar. It's very Man Mountain Rock. And in a bad way. Then you have Mad Cat Moss again. R- mentioned him a second ago. You got Ricochet. And it's more because how he's been booked. Again, this is more ba- not opinion based. Because I think Ricochet is a hell of a hand. But it's just the fact that he has been booked consistently like a geek or booked towards the bottom of the card to where it's very tough for me to outright say, hey, he's going to be the star of the future. Umberto Correa and Angel Garza and Shanky all get in that geek tier range. Now, when it comes to the top tier, it's very tough to crack that in my mind. I think there's five or six guys that are going to be your top stars. Roman Reigns, the Usos. They're a bundled deal. Charlotte Flair, Drew McIntyre, The New Day, Jeff Hardy, and Sasha Banks. I think I'm putting Jeff Hardy in top tier because he's still getting over as hell. I think they're going to book him really strong as he gets started. I think Drew McIntyre could very well be the guy to finally beat Roman if they wanted to. In all honesty, they should have just put Gable Stevenson on SmackDown. I think I would have put him a little bit higher on the tier list. Middle tier list for me, the upper mid is going to be Shinsuke, Happy Corbin, Hit Row, because all four of those guys have done a great job in NXT. Now I want to see how things go when they're called up. Sheamus, Zia Lee. Zia Lee and Shayna Baszler need to be a tag team sooner rather than later because I think those two would work well together. Speaking of Shayna Baszler, she's in the upper mid. Viking Raiders have had a really good year. Yes, they haven't been booked a whole like major amount, but they've done enough. Naomi, yeah, I'm putting her in the upper mid tier, but could probably drop down lower. Tony Storm, she's being built up strong. Cesaro, always going to be one of the best hands you have in the company. Sami Zayn, ditto, and also a really great mind. The lower mid tier is so small because I think the geek tier is so large, and that's what hurts, I think, SmackDown overall. Now, of course, they can book it as the land of opportunity again like they did in 2016 and 17, but I don't see that happening. And it's more because of the fact that I probably would put my money on these four, probably these three or four getting lost in the shuffle 
one of them will move up, but I feel like a lot of them will kind of stay and stand pat. It's Jinder, Shotzi, and Natalia. You have no idea what's going on with Shotzi. You got rid of her tag team just for a women's championship match. How is that going to go? That's the other question. But now you're also trying to figure out what you're going to do with, you know, Jinder Mahal now that he just has Shank. He doesn't have Veer with him, which is also just strange. Natalia's a veteran. She's, and again, one of the best hands in wrestling in terms of, like, women's division especially. But she's done nothing. Like, outside of one of the women's tag team titles, now she's broken up from her partner. So it's like the women's tag team division is about as meaningless as the letter G in lasagna. It means, like, less than nothing right now. And that's not what you want, but it's just how it is. I think at the end of the day, WWE set themselves up to where Raw is a much stronger show. I think going forward, now you got to be able to like deliver and have good storylines over the next several hours, the next several weeks and months. But talking about the draft made me kind of think, how would I improve the WWE draft? Because there's some stuff that I would probably take from real life and sports and execute them in a way to where WWE can have a clean slate and just like start anew with the WWE draft. I'll detail that for you next right here on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate you for listening in as always. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Sound Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And I want to talk about now the WWE draft and how I would wind up fixing it going forward. Because there's a lot of issues. I think it's the fact that you see it every single year right before Survivor Series. And it's just consistently weird trades. You don't see anything truly like great happen. And it feels like it just is the same old ish. You see the same kind of teams get drafted and traded and everything in between. And nothing really stands out. I haven't liked this new format. I didn't like the format that they went after 2004 when it was just a draft lottery. It was random. I feel like the way they do it now is kind of a complete mess. I don't know what's going on with it. So I want to change some things. And if I were in control of WWE, I would do this. And I would go ahead, like the week after WrestleMania, have the WWE completely rebooted. And this is a one-time only thing. I'm never going to do it again. When I was putting this idea together in like a rough draft, I was going to do it every four years, and it kind of feels pointless. So my idea is we reboot the entire company. This is rosters split that doesn't exist. All Everybody's a free agent now. Raw, SmackDown, NXT, all of them. All titles are now vacated. We clean up all three brands in the process, and we try and figure out how we want to do this. The draft will start on Friday night. SmackDown, this will, again, this will be the week after, not the Friday night after WrestleMania, the night after WrestleMania. We're going to give it a week. And we continue telling a story, or we wrap up some storylines. We tie up some loose ends. Then the following Monday, we announce we are rebooting WWE. We go ahead and have the draft start on Friday Night SmackDown, Raw, and then NXT, respectively. And we have it put together like this. And we'll have a grand total of 120 picks over the course of three shows. 
No worries about Talking Smack or Raw Talk or whatever you want to do with an NXT post show. There will be 10 picks each during SmackDown. That's 20 picks over two hours. We'll have 20 picks each during Monday Night Raw. It's a three-hour show. We double the picks. And we have 60 picks over the course of those three hours. And then 10 more during NXT's two hours. And anybody from any brand can go anywhere. Hypothetically, you could have Randy Orton go to NXT or Braun Breaker go to Raw. And again, it's 10 picks each, 20 picks and 10 picks. So NXT has a chance to get somebody really good that can help build your brand and build that brand up. And here's how you set everything up for this reboot. And I think NXT could have done this with NXT 2.0, but I get it. So the plan is that you spend the next several weeks with tournaments. You book tournaments for each of your belts. And also going forward, in my parallel universe, in my alternate universe, whatever you want to call it, I say the the championships are going to be now dual-branded going forward. We vacate all the titles, and we get rid of some. I'll talk about that in a second. But we make these dual-branded, and this comes to a head, and this builds up to Night of Champions. We're not doing Backlash until June. And in my mind, we're getting rid of a lot of these other pay-per-views with gimmicks, Hell in a Cell, all that stuff. In my per- in my personal world. <laughs> and every match on the card is going to be a championship between the red and blue brands. And this will continue into June with NXT TakeOver Clash of Champions. And you bring back the old WCW logo for this show. I, I love that Clash of Champions design way better than I do the current design, which looks way too corporate and clean. I want something a little bit different because NXT needs to be a little more grimy, a little more grittier. And then we also kill off some championships. I think the two that get killed off first immediately, the 24-7 title and the Women's Tag Team Championships because you completely have botched that championship over the last year. You literally just have one tag team that's set up for a Women's Tag Team division. Not a great idea, Bob. So ideally, this would stay in place until WrestleMania the next year. And trades could take place at any point. Now, if you want to do this the right way, you have to sacrifice draft picks as well. So let's say, for example, you want to trade, you want to Roman Reigns and the Usos both get traded over to Raw in exchange for Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, you know, AJ Styles and Omos. Let's throw four out there. It's a four for three deal. And you have to trade all that. And you have to trade if you're raw. And obviously you come up with a, a fictional system that works where you pick, you have your draft value. Let's say Roman Reigns is your number one pick and you're trading him in there. You got to give up a first, a second, and a third if you're raw or SmackDown. Or excuse me, Raw has to give up that pick to be able to, those picks to be able to get Roman Reigns because of the fact that it's such a big deal, and those picks are going to become important. I'm going to talk about that more down the road, and you could really work some things out to where you can have a partnership with Fox and NBC. You already do to a certain extent to where you can have everything run an angle, and you get set up some cool stuff in terms of storytelling and making each and every one of these trades matter a lot more. And I'd say also, we're going to add in something else for Survivor Series. 
and again, taking stuff from real life sports, because that's one of the most important things about this exercise for me is the fact that you need to do it very similar to how pro sports does it because pro sports does it well. So for the Survivor Series, which is basically the all-star game, every match be SmackDown versus Raw Battles, but not like how it is now. But you have three matches over the course of the entire show that are very much like battles between people who are Raw and people who are SmackDown. They get two things if they win. If whoever wins the two out of three gets two things that they get to do. One of those is an extra pick in the following year's draft, which could play large into how this whole thing goes. Because let's say you had to give up a first-round pick if you're Raw to get Roman Reigns, and you win the two out of three, now you get that pick back, and mind you, SmackDown still gets an extra pick, but now you're back to the rate we'll talk about in a few, about how I want to put it together for these next year. But then you have something even better for a blue brand or red brand, whatever it is, because this will be mainly the blue versus red. The SmackDown will still be treated as a developmental, but these guys will still have an opportunity to get called up next year. We're going to talk about that in a second. But whoever wins gets to select one superstar. It has to do this before WrestleMania. Gets to select them as a franchise tag. They get to put a franchise tag on them. So no matter what, let's say again, using Roman Reigns as an example, he's the guy that you want to keep around on your roster to be able to get the most ratings, to be able to do the most things, and be able to achieve your goals. And that's being the best brand. So on and so forth. And here's how you do it. You put a franchise tag on them for the entire year of the next draft. So that way you have them secured until WrestleMania two years down the road. And hell, if you win again, just go ahead and keep putting that guy on the franchise tag. A lot like what we see in the NFL. But now you get to the draft next year and going forward. What happens next? And I think this is the way to do it. You have a pool of 20 superstars that would be selected between Raw and SmackDown the night after WrestleMania. NXT will have a chance to pick from a pool of 20 with 10 picks. Now, when it comes to Raw and SmackDown, we're giving them five picks apiece. But again, you could have more depending on how you do moving trades around or how you're going to put together another show. How are you going to put together other things? If you get an extra pick from Survivor Series or you get a you get the next pick in such and such draft, but you're going to get at least set up five picks from the jump in next year's draft. you got a pool of 20. The other 10, they will go back to their respective brands, or they could be part of negotiations in terms of free agency, and there will be predetermined pools of 20. And the same thing with NXT. Now, the champions will remain dual-branded after WrestleMania. They will be considered free agents as soon as they lose the titles. So let's say the next night, because this will happen the night after WrestleMania. So let's say a week later, they lose the title. Now they have to decide what brand they're going to go to, and you have it be under contract negotiations where they disappear for a little bit for a week or two, and they come back, and they're part of 
SmackDown or Raw or even NXT. I think this is the way of the future and the way WWE needs to focus on if they want to continue doing the drafts and it not seem boring and repetitive. And whether I care to admit it or not, there are a handful of young men who have been here since the beginning that will keep pushing this company forward for the next couple of decades. Four men to be exact, four pillars. You got Jungle Boy. Beat him. You got Sammy Guevara. Beat him. You got Darby Allen, whatever, and then you have the strongest pillar, the most important pillar, the pillar who had the first match at All In, the pillar who was a participant in the first match in the history of this company, the pillar who is the youngest athlete ever to main event in AEW pay-per-view, the pillar who is a two-time beautiful dynamite diamond ring champion, the pillar who's better than you, and you know it. And that pillar's name is Maxwell Jacob Friedman. <clears throat> Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 the Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And I saw something on AEW Dynamite. You heard the clip coming back. And this was absolutely one of those times. And I talk, I've mentioned it before that heels in wrestling are supposed to be the ones that tell the truth. Because, in honesty, they can lie, but at the same time, they can speak facts in their promos. And AEW does this extremely well. Go back to AEW during the pandemic, whenever you had John Moxley out for a while, and they actually outright mentioned this stuff. And, you know, whenever you hear a heel cut a promo, sometimes you can agree with what that person said. He may be a complete jerk about it, but it works. It's all about building sympathy for the face, but at the same time, the heel is speaking some factual information. Now, MGF mentioned the pillars of AEW, the four pillars. And this is definitely something to do and reminiscent of the four pillars of All Japan Pro Wrestling, obviously, Misawa involvement, which was a great callback to bring this up. Because it also, it puts over the fact that these are the future guys. It also puts over MGF as well because he's beat them. And I agree entirely with his list in terms of the four pillars of AEW. It's Jungle Boy, MJF, Darby Allen, and I'd say Sammy Guevara may be the one I probably disagree with. So because I think he has potential to be one of the top uh, a star, and he's already getting there. But he feels like he is just a couple steps away from being like that super duper star like a Jungle Boy, a Darby Allen already is, and MGF already is. He feels like that fourth guy where you're not necessarily sure you agree with that take. Now, in terms of somebody else who could fit that role and be that fourth or fifth guy, that fourth pillar, it's tough to think about because there's so many guys that are former WWE castaways. There's not a whole lot of like true, honest-to-goodness, homegrown talent that can be considered a fourth pillar. I think there's a few guys that can be in that consideration. And I give you those right now. I think Dante Martin, based off of what they've been doing the last few weeks and months, 
having him in tag team action with Matt Seidel and having him showcase his ability, there's no doubt in my mind the sky is the limit for somebody like Dante Martin and the way he has gotten over. Every time he's on television, I see Twitter blow up. It's not necessarily super-duper trending, but people are loving what they're seeing from this guy. He's doing stuff that we've never really seen before on television. I think he has a strong case to be a fourth pillar. Now it's all about how does he sound in promos? How does he work as an entire character? Because it's one thing to have flashy moves, but beyond that, what else can you do? It's something that's kind of doomed Ricochet to a certain extent. Ricochet was phenomenal in New Japan, more because of the fact that he just had to do moves and flips. It's not necessarily about the promo. It's about what goes on in the 20 by 20 squared circle. Outside of that, I think Wardlow is going to be a future star in AEW. Once he breaks away from MGF, that pop is going to be huge. And I think Wardlow has a huge chance to be a big-time babyface and be that fourth pillar. It's a very big pillar, but I think the feud with MGF and Wardlow is going to kick all kinds of ass. Another one I'll throw out there, and this is a little bit more out of left field for me. Because I love a lot of these guys that we talk about. But I think the one that stands out the most to me when it comes to the future of AEW, it's got to be 2.0. 2.0 in terms of a tag team, they're loudmouth, like goofballs and almost geeks, but it's endearing. And I want to see what they can do going forward because they had that intrigue. And another one that I'm going to throw out there, I think we got to bring up the gun club. We got to bring up Austin and Colton gun. They are going to be somebody to look forward to in the future. And if they keep winning like they are, they're going to get pushed And the way they're building them up for an angle. Maybe with the big show could be kind of fun. At least it's just the way I think about it. There's a lot of other ways this could go. So for me, I think potential fourth pillars in terms of singles guys, it's gotta be Dante Martin, and I'd probably say Wardlow. Another one that I feel like could be a future just big star and big name has to be, I'd say, Ty Conti or Anna Jay. Because, again, it's a different world compared to what it was back when we talked about the four pillars of all Japan. There's a chance where there's a women's division wrestler that could be leading the way for years to come. I think Anna Jay or Ty Conti are going to be your next two like top-tier baby faces of the company. Now, whenever they do win, like I think if Anna J or Ty Conti wins over Dr. Brent Baker, DMD, that crowd is going to be going eight for her because while some fans love Brent Baker and she gets over in her hometown and people love the DMD, I feel like when she loses the title, people are going to pop huge for whoever wins it. And it needs to be a big baby face that's built up extremely well. And I feel like Anna J. Ty Conti, they're both young and they've both been a prominent part of programming because they are very much good looking women. And also they have gotten so much better. Ty Conti has improved so much. I've talked about it before on the podcast is that Ty Conti is so much more improved now than what she looked like in NXT. Anna Jay, since coming back, has gotten better. She was improving before the injury. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes. Could we see Ty Conti and Anna Jay in a program with each other where they're having to go number one contender and they're having to fight each other for this golden opportunity that may not come back? There's a way you can tell the story. 
So for me, I think there's a chance where a women's women's division wrestler could be in that mix. Outside that, though, it's very tough because the way AEW has been booked, especially in terms of what they do with Dynamite and now Rampage, you're featuring a lot more of the, as I like to put it, the PWG guys. You're seeing Adam Cole be used more, Brian Danielson, CM Punk, the Young Bucks. You're seeing more of those guys, Darby Allen, Eddie Kingston, John Moxley. You're seeing the best of the best of the best. When it, well, meanwhile, you're seeing more of the Dark Order stuff. You're seeing more of Joey Janela's of the world out there on Dark Elevation and Dark. You don't know. It's a very stacked roster to where if you're not watching, at least Dark. I'm not saying like skip out on Dark Elevation, but if you see a match that you're looking forward to and are interested in seeing, go out of your way and check it out on Dark or Dark Elevation. But it's obviously more about what's going on on the main roster, and that's really what's progressing a lot of storylines. Dark and Dark Elevation are very much heat and velocity, jacked and metal, or even WCW Saturday Night. I think that's kind of way it's going. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 Games Exclusive Pro Wrestling Podcast. And there was a lot of stuff I do every single week, and it's what I liked and what I hated from wrestling. I try and watch as much as I can and have my overall takeaways of what I like and hate from it. And there was a lot I liked, and I'll get to that first. The biggest thing I liked was, one, the Brody Lee Foundation that they announced before Dynamite. That was tremendous stuff. But I liked even more the Dark Order match that was like the 16-man tag alongside Orange Cassidy. This was a fantastic show and a fantastic match. The story that was told was really cool, too, because of the fact that you still had the tension between the Dark Order. They were told to bring it together thanks to Tony Khan, and the tension was still there. They still hated each other. Evil Uno and crew tried to walk out of the match, but then you have negative one. And Amanda Huber, they bring everybody back together. And you get to see Dark Order stand tall. And now they're back on the same page. This was a great way to end a storyline that felt very like contentious. And you, didn't, you were thinking the worst that they were going to break up. And one of the more entertaining groups in AEW was going to go their own separate ways, which would have been a horrible idea for AEW to do but would have made sense in terms of telling a story and possibly having Hangman bring him back together. Wouldn't you know it was the little kid who got it done. Absolutely heartwarming. And he kind of teared up a little bit too when you saw that. And then they ran it back a little bit later with Anna Jay and Ty Conti getting a big win. And the negative one comes out to hang out with his best friends. Just such a awe moment. And that's the stuff like... It's not needed in pro wrestling, but God, when it happens, you absolutely are just smiling from ear to ear. Meanwhile, what I hate this week in wrestling is Joe Gacy because his gimmick is single-handedly like the worst thing I've ever seen. I get it. You want to try and be hip and edgy and with it, but do we really need a gimmick that basically makes fun of the woke culture that has been propagated on a lot of, them, uh, let's say, right-wing shows and stuff like that, you know, get woke, go broke. Do we really need that? And Joe Gacy seems like he's got a hell of a, hell of a talent with him. 
but I just cannot get into him. I can't get into his promos. It's very weird. And the way he just stares into the camera, it's very strange. I don't know why this is there. It should be shot into the sun and Joe Gacy should just never be on TV again because it is like that bad. It's the worst thing NXT 2.0 has done. That's saying something considering three weeks in people are already starting to check out on it. And I think this is at least one of the many reasons why people are turning away from it because it feels like it's amateur hour. It feels not like as good as it hit as well as it did when it was NXT, the black and yellow brand that we remember when we had all the internet darlings on that show. It's not working right now. Hopefully they can get it together, but it feels tough. Meanwhile, there is one thing I liked about NXT this week, and it was the fact that you had possibly the most entertaining honeymoon angle of all time. I think that might might be the only homecoming angle or honeymoon angle, excuse me, they've ever done with the index honeymoon. It is so damn good. The way like Johnny Gargano is an absolute comedic genius and having him and Candice LeRae hanging out there and they working it as their baby moon, but they're also just hanging out, making sure everything's okay with Indy really good stuff. And the fact you have like, Basically, and the entire night was basically based around NXT kind of being horny on main here. Because all about the women and the promo they had on NXT or on USA and later I saw on social media, it was very much like, hey, we're going to be edgy and we're going to be horny today. And that's what it felt like. <laughs> I just sat there. I was like, okay, this is a little weird. Why are you zooming in on the lips so much? I get it. It's all about the women, but it's like, do we really need to make it like sultry? Like, just have it be built around the actual stuff in the 20 by 20 squared circle. Overall, that was my, the most entertaining part. Then you had the segment wherever like Johnny Gargano went into their room and all of a sudden Johnny finds like a billion condoms. I literally popped so hard for that. It was so damn funny. And then he goes back, goes to the closet, comes out of it. Dexter wakes up, does the thumbs up gimmick and he pulls out all the, all the damn condoms again. I, it was literally just the dumbest thing ever. But again, pro wrestling sometimes can be dumb, but more importantly, pro wrestling can be entertaining as all get out when you tell really fun stories. And also when you can have a moment where, you know, these guys are being goofballs and it works. It's not like, Oh, Hey, we're going to go ahead and one week have like Roman reigns out on a honeymoon and being goofy with somebody. No, it makes sense because Johnny Gargano has been built as a bit of a goofball and it works for him. Yes, he's a hell of a hand in the ring, but he's doing really well with this goofball shtick that he's been doing over the last year with The Way. By the way, RIP The Way. The other thing I hated was Raw's lazy booking. I talked about it on Twitter after Raw last week. Not last night, last week. Because you pretty much predetermined everything. And I sat there, I was like, really? This is the way they're going to do it. So they have the Kofi Kingston, not Kofi Kingston, the Big E Bobby Lashley match. Don't know why I said that. So we have the Big E Bobby Lashley match. And they kick off Raw with this. This is the perfect opportunity to get a viewership rating and get a really good number to start off the show in terms of your quarter hours. That did not work for a lot of reasons. And I think it was the fact that people immediately knew there was no way in hell we were getting a clean finish for this match. 
for a WWE title match to open up the show. There's no way. It's never been done. And they did exactly what I kind of expected them to do. But they did it in a nice way. Bringing back the Hurt Business, they teased it on Twitter. So I like the fact they ran with this angle and set it up perfectly. Then you have it become a steel cage match. Again, perfectly well done in terms of being a lazy booker. Because you could have seen this coming a mile away. You were going to book at this match and run it back for the main event. In fact, I said that to one of my good friends, TV's Dylan, over here at Delta Media. I said that to him. That was exactly what was going to happen. That they were going to have something, run it back as a main event. And right when he had interference, oh, hey, we're going to run it back and put it in a steel cage. Then you still had the New Day and Herd Business still interfering. So the steel cage did nothing. I mean, they didn't get into the ring physically, but they set up enough of a distraction for different things to happen, and Big E was able to still retain his title, which was a great decision. But I think it was marred by the fact that you get immediately bad booking for a title rematch. Just make it the main event of Raw the next night. I get it. You want to make this like rating and keep people hanging on, but I think there's a better way to do it, especially over the course of three hours. You book a really good opening segment. That's how you get people to stick around with your show. Look back a few weeks ago when Biggie cashed in. Biggie tweeted out. And people tuned in just to see what was going on. People tuned in for the main event to see Biggie cash in for the money in the bank. I can tell you that right now because I know people who were on Twitch that night. And right when they heard that Biggie was cashing in, they immediately turned their TV over to WWE Raw and watch that on Twitch. And that was great. Now it's trying to capitalize on that. In all honesty, they're failing miserably in my mind with this lazy booking. Now they're moving away from Bobby Lashley for now because he's still dealing with Goldberg, which by the way, I'm just going to go ahead and add this. Then we'll take another quick break and wrap the show with the old school match of the week. And Goldberg basically said he was going to kill a man live on television. I understand we got to suspend our disbelief for a moment, but the police could very well use that if he actually does kill him. Even if he's in Saudi Arabia, where murder may or may not be legal, depending if you're a journalist or not. Just going to go ahead and put that out there. Again, I'm not reviewing Crown Jewel, not even touching that. I'm not even watching that damn show. But, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun with this. See how this goes over the next several weeks. But the storyline has been Goldberg is going to kill Bobby Lashley. It's very weird. But I'm looking forward to seeing the aftermath of that. If Bobby Lashley actually does die. I don't think he will. But the way he, the way my old boy is talking, who even knows? So before we wrap up the Cajun Strong Style podcast, 1037 Games exclusive pro wrestling podcast, I like to do something called the old school match of the week. I started doing it a few weeks ago and I absolutely have enjoyed it. And the best part is I usually try and pull up matches from different eras on YouTube. And the fact that WWE, New Japan, TNA, Ring of Honor, they all put up a bunch of full matches. I can actually check these out for free and you can too. And this one was really cool. From 19 years ago, Trish Stratus versus Victoria from No Mercy 2002, nearly 19 years ago. 
And a little backstory here, and it was interesting to see the fact that we actually got to see a story being told in the women's division that didn't involve calling the other a slut or something like that. We got to see a really good story being told. Victoria felt like she was screwed over by Trish while the two were fitness balls before going to the WWE. So Victoria had assaulted the women's champion throughout the run-up to this, and they set up a match in No Mercy. After Victoria assaulted Stratus after retaining the title in a bra and panties match against Stacey Keebler. Definitely a different era in 2002 when that was a championship match. Thankfully, things have changed a lot. And, you know, it's interesting because a Braun panties match has never resulted in a title change, while an evening gown pool match did. Kind of weird, just like pro wrestling was back in those days. But this was actually the penultimate match of a pay-per-view and was following probably one of the best matches in all of 2002 in the four-way match to determine who's going to be the SmackDown Tag Team Champions or the WWE Tag Team Championship, which was great. And they did the title unification match. You were leading up to the Hell in a Cell match between Brock and Undertaker. It was weird to see. So you have Trish come out and she comes with the keys to the city. I was like, wait a minute. There's no way that's like her music in 2002. It feels like that's a 2003 thing, but not the case. And these two opening moments, really good stuff. They have a big old sign that says ladies were also pay-per-view. And I just sat there. I was like, God, I hate fans sometimes. And the fan, the signs are so abhorrent in some situations. Good back and forth in the opening seconds, you know, basic spots, but it works. Again, these two aren't necessarily like putting on five-star classes, classics every night, but they're taking steps in the right direction. Trish got some really good kicks in on Victoria early. She went to the outside. Trish brought her into the ring post. But next thing you know, we see something else happen. We see Victoria take over. She uses her strength in a big way. She has like a press slam up on Trish onto the barricade. Then they get back into the ring. Victoria hits a really good-looking slingshot leg drop for two, which is a really great signature signature spot from her. Victoria hits a wonky monkey flip, and Trish looked like she tweaked her back on that spot. She sold for like a hot minute on that, and then they go up to the top rope. She fights back. Trish hits the stratosphere for two. They didn't call it there, but that's basically what it was, basically the, the handstand Hurricane Rana, which looked fantastic. At one point, Victoria locked her into the gory special. Not the full widow's peak, but pretty close. And she started trying to get the submission on it. On her, Trish got out of it, got a quick roll-up for two. Really good match between these two for women's wrestling standards back then. They started exchanging big strikes. Stratus winds up landing the chick kick. They call it that back in 2002. That's a two count. And then the finish happens, and it's very wonky. Very weird. And it probably drops us, if I were doing a boudin rating, this would probably drop it down about, prob- I'd say, two to one and a half, like Lincoln Boudin type match. Because Trish went for the Stratus faction, but for some reason couldn't get the move off properly. Don't know if that was more Victoria stopping it or what. So it didn't work out, but Trish still wound up winning with a quick roll up. Victoria kept attacking Stratus with a big kick. It was a fine, it was a good match till the finish. Not either of them's best matches by far, but still 
an entertaining match. And that's what you needed at the end of the day. So what happened next? The feud actually continued all the way to WrestleMania. Victoria won the title at Survivor Series in a hardcore match. They kept fighting back and forth. And it continued off and on for the next several months. And Trish beat Victoria and Jazz at WrestleMania 19. That's how the feud ended. And that was a mind-blowing thing in and of itself, considering how, again, different things were back then, where you don't see a whole lot of like long-term angles pay off in the WWE involving the women's division. But we got it. It was really cool stuff. But that's going to about do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Appreciate everybody for listening in. And make sure you leave a five-star review. And also subscribe to us however you do so, be it through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Heck, we're even on YouTube. We just dropped a new YouTube channel. We're putting up clips of the show and also on Instagram. You can follow us on Instagram at Cajun Strong Style. On Twitter at Cajun Strong Pod. Just search Cajun Strong Style on Facebook. You'll get us that way. Same thing with YouTube. And give us a sub over there while you're at it. That way you can get all the latest like bits of the new show whenever those drop. You're usually going to drop those on Wednesdays throughout the day. But until next time, I'm Clint Doming. Enjoy the wrestling, and we'll be back next week for a brand new Cajun Strong Style next Tuesday. 